I want to yeah, sure, do I mean, this one. This one's from a children's show that I watched, the local children's oh, show, wow. Casey Jones. I just got this yesterday. When I got it home, I, I saw that that Casey himself had signed, it, signed it. it. And wow. I didn't even know it didn't. It doesn't say anything. I asked the guy at the store. I sent him a message through Facebook. And I said, "Did you know that it's signed by now, him? Because here's the uh, printed signature, and here's his actual one." Yeah. Now my older siblings all have memories of Casey Jones. I was a little bit young. I, we were four. I, I turned four when we moved from Minnesota back to, back to New York. So I really don't remember Casey Jones, but my older brothers and sisters all speak fondly of Casey Jones, the local children's yep. person there. This a, I often say it this way. There's a, I have a picture of me and Casey, Casey uh, Jones, <laughs> when I was two. There you go. It's on Facebook. I put it up to you probably saw. All right. Excellent. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, let's get. Not um, saying, do you wait a minute? You were recording that, weren't you? Hell yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to bring you some incredible news. We are under attack. Never before has this reporter seen such devastation, such destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I fear the time has come for Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules! So grab a can of fermented weed and listen up. It may just save your life. Hello and welcome back to Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. I'm your host, Douglas Arthur, and today I am joined by a couple members of the Goot Squad. I've got uh, Jeff Hickmott from uh, Jolly Old England over there. How you doing, Jeff? Uh, you know, just have a dinner. I'm good. All right, excellent. And you know him, you love him. He's high in fiber. Our friend from Minnesota, it's Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. How you doing, Jim? I'm fine. Mortified that you've got some audio uh, blackmail. <laughs> well, we, yes, we'll discuss the audio blackmail later, uh, perhaps. That's the nature yeah, of blackmail is okay. there's discussion usually before that happens. All right. I got gotcha. it. <laughs> Mum's the word, as they say. Pretty much, pretty much all of this show is audio blackmail, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Yeah. We're already off the rails, and I haven't even finished the introduction to the show yet. This is fantastic. Exactly. And Michael's not here to do And Michael's right. not here. I know. I had to do it for him. You've done it yourself. <laughs> well, anyway, um, what, uh, what we're here today to discuss, um, this was a topic, I believe, suggested by, by Jim. Uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite uh, movie scores. Um now, I, I make the distinction in between score and soundtrack because they are slightly different. Um, I, I, I think most people can agree that, the, uh, that a movie score is actually the original music composed for the, for the film, um, while a soundtrack can be a compilation uh, and a combination of original score music and a lot of times uh, popular songs or original songs that are written for the film um, are, are kind of uh, mixed in 
um, and used. Uh, and, and that also uh, would cover um, a movie like Grease, for example, which is, you know, basically a musical on film. So it's not really a score because there's singing and dancing and all of that, um, but it is a soundtrack. So um, hopefully that kind of clears that up. Uh, what we're going to do, um, I mean, this is by no means anything definitive, uh, but we're going to try to uh, list off some of our favorite scores. These aren't necessarily the best scores, but some of our favorite scores um, from over the years. And um, I think we have a pretty good list that covers uh, a good range of, of uh, film history here. I think, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a few surprises. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we also have um, a fellow Gooch squatter, uh, Brian Curtis, uh, at the last minute was not able to join us, but we do have his list of scores. And so we'll discuss those in his absence. Um, and we'll try to, um, we'll try to think like Brian and, uh, you know, come up with some, some good, uh, <laughs> some good commentary. Hopefully we do it justice for Brian. Um, hashtag justice for Brian. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, so we're going to, we're, we're, on Twitter. <laughs> we're each going to pick, uh, three, three scores. Um, and then, uh, because, uh, when we were discussing this, um, because John Williams basically has uh, the largest catalog of great film scores <laughs> of all time. And we didn't want the show to just be all John Williams uh, scores. Um, we are each picking our favorite John Williams score kind of as a separate category um, so that, uh, you know, we can get some, uh, <laughs> some other composers uh, um, uh, mentioned in, 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 in here. So uh, we're going to do that. And then, um, just for fun, uh, we're going to throw in our favorite soundtrack uh, at, at the end as well. It's kind of a, a little bonus tidbit. Um, so uh, given that, um, why don't we have uh, Jeff go first? And um, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about the score you pick, or if you have a, a, a comment about film scores in general before you get started, you can, you can do that. Well, um, yeah, like you said, film scores and film soundtracks, the terms do get uh, used sort of like uh, equally sometimes. You know, um, and certainly I've made the mistake of going to buy a film soundtrack and actually bought the score and gone, oh, that's not what I wanted at all. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember which movie that was, but uh, yeah, I, um, I started my, my choice uh, with a movie I've seen three or four times I think over the years and different versions because there are different versions and I have to say uh, I, I did something amazing the other day I was well I didn't yeah, I was in a, in a uh, charity shop and I always look through the DVDs they've got you know because you never know you might pick something and suddenly I saw it Blade Runner the final cut was up there the two disc version I was like yes that is the best version and uh that's my favorite soundtrack.
I've been a fan of Vangelis since about 1976. Uh, my uncle had one of his albums, the album Albedo 0.39, and that had the uh, the track Polestar on it, which is a lovely track. And so the next time I, uh, he put out an album, I, of course, um, had saved up enough pocket money and the so I bought Spiral by Vangelis, which was my favorite album for a long, long time. And so when, uh, you know, and this this soundtrack's amazing. Um, I mean, the movie itself is amazing. And I think the soundtrack is, is partly responsible for that. It does tend to help evoke that dystopian feel, um, very bleak, sort of synthetic, but also with shades of uh, like a film noir in there, some Middle Eastern influence coming in as well. Um, and even a little bit of sort of neoclassical, because of course he just finished doing, he'd done Chariots of Fire the year before. And so right. he'd gone into Blade Runner. And, uh, and you know, it's one of those soundtracks you can just listen to time and again. You can always hear something a little bit different in there. And so that's the one I, I picked. I don't know quite... Um, uh, how much, how much detail you want me to go into, but, uh, just the <laughs> but no, no, I, I totally agree with you. It, it, that soundtrack has always had a bit of a dreamlike quality oh. to it too, that I think oh, yeah. kind of enhances yeah. that particular question in the movie as to whether or not Deckard is a replicant. Um, and of course that there's some yeah. controversy there. I think in the book, Deckard is a replicant. Um, Ridley Scott has always often said that Deckard is a replicant replicant but um you know harrison ford <laughs> has always said that was a bit of hogwash um but but, but yeah vangela i i mean we i guess it's uh is that the proper pronunciation i've always pronounced it vangelis but maybe that's because i'm a i'm a i'm an american so you know that's what i do um <laughs> you know i mean yeah no i've, I've always uh, I, I think that was my first thing i i uh when my uncle bought that album i looked at it and i was like oh van jelly and uh, he's like no van gellis van gellis and oh. so it's always been van gellis for me so, so we're okay. not going to contradict your uncle no well, no he, no absolutely he, not. he lives he lives in uh he lives in australia so you, you're yeah you're there you go he's not gonna kick your ass now i i'm trying to think i i mean obviously he scored uh chariots of fire and blade runner but i'm trying to think of any other films that he scored um, the bounty. Oh, the bounty. Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, and Antarctica. Okay, I don't know that I know that one, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's um, a couple of others, I think. But uh, and I think um, he was kind of it. A couple of doc documentaries too. Yeah, but, um, he was kind. Of, he was kind of in the vein. Uh, his score. His score has always reminded me of like a Tangerine Dream. Um, same kind of. You know, yeah. basically synth-based um, soundtracks, and and probably I would I, think among the first to do a full synth soundtrack. Um, in my in my mind, yeah. I'm trying to think back. Maybe maybe somebody did something in the 70s. Um, oh, uh, did uh, Walter slash Wendy Carlos uh, do a yeah. full synth score for? Um, was it Clockwork Orange? Um, yes. I think that I almost think, made my list. 
still known as Wal- still known as Walter at that point, if I remember. I don't remember when that transition. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, still known as Walter, but living still living uh, privately as Wendy. And when you so there's a there's a famous uh, clip uh, from a BBC documentary from I think about 1972, dressed as a man, but quite clearly looking like a woman with a wig on, you know, hmm. um, and, you know, just, um, so yeah, obviously I've been sort of hiding it for a while, but, um, so, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think there's, I think there was one or two soundtracks for her that Wendy did. I can't remember. Uh, uh he did, uh, um, did the, the shining. Well, also did so, the shining. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, that's um, right. yeah. Fantastic. That's a good one. Yeah. It's another great, but, another um, great score. Yeah. That one's, yeah, kind of related to the, to one of my picks. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to say about the 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 Van Gelis, uh for for Blade Runner was that it it relies heavily, uh, at least in some sequences, on saxophone. Yeah, and yeah. Sa- and saxophone in the eighties got to be very ubiquitous and very annoying. Yes. But in his film, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it it suits so like well. Say, it's that- you know, in the scenes, it's kind of that film noir almost element mm-hmm. that sort of it really does, um, yeah, work exactly. It kind of goes back yeah. and it evokes some of those, uh, you know, Henry Mancini jazzy, uh, film noir scores yeah, that, that Panther, he did, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Peter Gunn, that kind of stuff, uh, going back, going way back, oh, yeah. Pink Panther, definitely. yep. So, um, so yeah, definitely a great, a great pick. Um, all right, Jim, what do you, what do you have for, mm. for us? I'm going to give my picks in chronological order, starting with the earliest. Um, Planet of the Apes, 1968, the original. Okay. Done by Jerry Smith, the uh, the legendary Jerry Smith. Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, when you he mean? got the project, Jerry Goldsmith. Did I say it wrong? Oh, it's uh, Jerry yeah. Goldsmith. Yes, I got it written <laughs> correctly. It's just my glasses are uh, no, my brain's not working. That's okay. Uh, when he got the project, when he got the project and knew what he was going to be doing, um, he decided to go avant garde with what he was doing he tried some experimenting and i just uh this was uh i was listening to those old power records uh with the comic book and the record oh yeah um and there was the planet of the apes there's a planet of the apes series in there uh all except for conquest of the planet of the apes i guess apparently that was too violent but um i was listening to the planet of the apes the first one and uh, the acting in it's not great <laughs> in the, the in the voice acting isn't great but they use the original soundtrack music or score music and i went oh that's what we should do 
we should do movie scores because <laughs> that was the one that inspired us. This is so great. Uh, so he he did stuff like, uh, you know, he would have the orchestra try to make an, uh, ape grunt sounds. Uh, he, he looped drums uh, in there. Um, he would have them uh, blow their horns without the mouthpieces in them to get the, a different sound. He'd have wind winner, uh, uh, the woodwind people just key their, you know, finger the keys and not blow the instruments at all, just to get the sounds out of that. He'd hit on steel, you know, mixing bowls, just to get any kind of sound that was just, it just created this unusual soundscape. And when the when the movie opens up, you get these, these uh, I don't know, symbol uh, flourishes uh, as, and uh, as you're going through that space and, you know, the, you know they're going through warp speed or something, whatever they're doing. And you get this unusual visuals from the movies and just this great soundtrack was just so, uh, otherworldly, which and 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 very uh, uh, reminiscent of apes. Uh, it's just it's such a cool soundtrack, such an unusual soundtrack. He was nominated for best, but he lost to uh, the Lion in Winter. Ah, that was one of my almost picks. That was fantastic. Which one, Lion, Lion in Winter? Winter? One good one. Yeah. Yeah, I. So I that's agree. my notes. On I, I I I agree. That was. Um... That was, you know, a great score. Great, great movie. Um, you know, obviously, I think when you're of a certain age, like we are, um, Planet of the Apes was kind of probably our first intro to science fiction, um, more or less. Um, at, yeah, at, that, least, at least for me, that's Star about Trek, the, I think, yeah. Yeah, that and Star Trek are about the earliest things of, of science fiction that I remember. Um, you know, I, I have the advantage of having several older brothers and sisters who could <laughs> influence what I saw. Um, and that, that certainly was one that um, I remember seeing at a very young age uh, and being quite taken by it, even though at, at, you know, first viewing, I did not understand the ending at all, but the, the musical score definitely helps make that movie because it is a unique score. It's very percussive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I didn't actually see the movie uh, before I saw the TV series. Uh, I remember oh, right. in the in the uh, early seventies mm -hmm. on, on Saturdays uh, mornings um, after the cartoons, they would show either something like Fantastic Journey or uh, Time Tunnel or Voice the Bone of the Sea or Planet of the Apes. Right. And uh, I always loved Roddy Roddy McDowell in that. That was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah and, yeah, and and Jerry Goldsmith also gave us uh, the great uh, score for Star Trek: The Motion Picture, mm -hmm. which gave us the theme for Star Trek: The Next Generation. So, yeah, there's a yeah. Star Trek connection there. Yeah, uh, well, Goldsmith did a ton of he he has quite a resume, um, and um, you know it's um, you know it, I, I I don't think he gets quite as much uh, credit as some of you know, like John Williams does, um, but Goldsmith did some really, mm -hmm. really cool scores and, and really, uh, you know, like you said, he, 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 he would experiment when he needed to, uh, to, to create yeah. some unique sounds. Um, so yeah, yeah, great, great pick, Jim. I, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, it's one of those names, actually. I, I think, uh, I think in, I mean, in researching, uh, schools for this show, um, and you keep coming across these names, you think, "Oh my God, Alan Menken!" You go, oh my God, Howard Short! You know all these names coming. Oh, you know, 
it's very difficult to whittle them down, but Jerry Goldsmith is one of those ones that popped up. And so you have to sort of go back and look, oh, which ones did he do? You know, and mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Didn't well, Howard Shore do Taxi Driver? Uh, I believe no, so. No, no, no. Howard Shore did no, not Who did do Taxi Driver? Oh, we'll get to no, that. Um, we will get to that in my picks. Don't worry. Okay. We'll, co- we'll, co- <laughs> we'll cover it. We will Into cover that it. guy over there. All right. Yeah. Or over there, depending on where you are. Don't don't worry. We'll get we'll get to taxi driver. Don't don't you worry. So 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 um, I guess next up uh, we should probably discuss one of Brian's movies, um, and I think I will I will pick uh, Big Trouble in Little China off of his list because I at least know a little bit about <laughs> about the score for this film. Um, so Big Trouble in Little China was uh, a John Carpenter movie and John Carpenter, um, aside, you know, most people know he did the theme from Halloween, but most people don't know that he wrote the music to almost all of his movies uh, as well. And this Big Trouble in Little China was no exception. Um, what's interesting about this movie is that there's actually a theme song, uh, which I think ran over the closing credits. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's a lot of fun, but uh, there's a lot of great moments in the soundtrack for this film. It's it, uh, like the movie itself. It's, it's a bit of a genre mashup, you know um, it, it, it really takes, uh, you know, kind of themes from different genres of music that correlate with the different genres of, of film that are being kind of mashed up in this, uh, you know, story that's, you know, you know kind of a science fiction, horror, Western Kung Fu movie <laughs> with, with, uh, with trucks. Um, <laughs> it's really kind of, it's, it's a fun score. I, I, I enjoy it. I think that's a great pick uh, from from Brian. I can't say much about it because well, I've only seen the movie once. And that was like oh, a couple yeah, years ago, and I thought I was, haven't seen it. I thought it was okay in a long, long time. But well, I remember I, enjoying I, it. No but I idea don't the soundtrack at all. Yeah, I, I have uh, no idea why that opening sequence was there <laughs> because it had barely any relation to the rest of the movie. But oh, where they where they brought in Egg Shen to be interrogated by the. It was just kind. Of, I think it was just kind of a yeah, storytelling right. device, really. You know, that's hmm. anyway. That's, and I didn't like the the th- the song that John came up with, the Big China, uh, Big Trouble in Little China song. I right. remember when that came. You know, hearing it way back in the day, and I went, "This is horrible." <laughs> I don't. I don't hey, know. I, I mean, I it's not great, but 
I still, I, I kind of have a nostalgia for it um, myself, but yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. have a, I have a weird relationship with that movie because um, I remember seeing the trailers for it and thinking this looks God awful, stupid. I have to go see it. Um, and then I, I loved it from That's the first funny. time, the first time I saw, I went to see it three times the first week it was released. And I dragged my friends to go see it. Oh. And there were times when I was the only person laughing in the theater and I didn't care because I had so much fun with that movie. It was, uh, and, and so, you know, I know uh, it's kind of gained a little bit of a cult following in the, in the, in the years hence. Uh, but uh, you know, at the time sure. um, I think people were looking for something a little bit more serious, um, you know, in an action movie, but it was really just kind of this tongue in cheek, uh, goof, goofy, you know, genre bending, you know, uh, film. And, uh, you know, I think people just weren't ready for that. And the, and the, the funny thing about that movie is the main hero played by Kurt Russell is actually the sidekick in his own movie because his sidekick actually gets all the stuff done. You know, um, so it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of turns everything on its head. And it's I, I really enjoyed it. My first film that I would like to talk about is um, The Firm uh, by Dave Grusin, which I think is kind of a an oddball pick uh, if, if people know me. But uh, The Firm was a. Uh, a Tom Cruise movie based on a John Grisham novel uh, and directed by Sidney Pollack, the great Sidney Pollack. Um, and for the movie, Sidney Pollack wanted something that was kind of minimalist. And the majority of the score is recorded completely on a piano. It's just a piano. And some of the percussion is done by, um, so I remember seeing this uh, they did like a little featurette at the time the movie came out and they actually recorded him like knocking on the piano with his, with his knuckles to make some of the percussion noises. So like all of the sound came from the piano. Um, it's, it's really a unique score. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I remember at the time being really taken with it. weird because i haven't seen the movie probably you know i think i probably rented it uh once or twice after <laughs> after it was released on home video but i haven't seen it probably in 30 years um but you know a, a great movie uh i i you know for a, for a tom cruise movie uh i, I remember it, it just you know holly hunt holly hunter i think is in that 
as well. Um, Hunter, yeah. And uh, it's just uh, Hal Holbrook. Yeah, uh, Hal Holbrook. Yeah, the HH. Yeah, of course. There's lots of there's and, lots of really. Uh, and Wilford Brimley, of course. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Wilford Brimley is yeah. in there, and Gene Hackman uh, as well. Yeah. So, um, it, it it's um, oh, isn't Gary Busey in there shortly? Well? Yeah, yeah, Gary Busey is also in there. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. I really thought it was a unique a unique score and. Um, it, uh, it it kind of stuck with me after all these years, so that's one yeah. that's one reason I, I decided to pick to pick it. Um, so the firm uh, by Dave Grusin. So we go back to Jeff. It's Jeff's turn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my second one is, is uh, the uh, score for uh, Koyanis Katsi. Oh yeah, um, life out of balance is the title. Uh, Philip Glass, um, minimalist, um, with lots of repetition and simple structures and um, kind of unique harmonies and harmonic language and stuff. Uh, interesting movie. I don't know if you've, you, you, I'm sure you guys have seen it. Oh, I've seen have it. Yeah. Seen it? What's okay. it called again? Kriana Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a Hopi word. It means life out of balance or life in turmoil. And it's it's directed by Godfrey Reggio, and it's part of a trilogy that the second one came out in 1988. This was 1982. Uh, the, the third one was in 2002, I believe. Yeah, they're about. So it, it was, and yeah, it was. It's it's there's no script. It's um, there's it, a lot of slow mo footage, time lapse footage, a sort of aerial footage. Uh, all sort of melded together um, to sort of you kind of get the idea of like, it's about man's um, sort of destroying the planet almost. It's 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 it, it, but it's a fascinating watch because um, right you've got all this soundtrack. It's kind of like bringing it all together um, and uh, yeah. I, I, and you, I think I. I'm right in saying there you can see on YouTube for free. I, I believe uh, so, but it's it, quality, it's, but it is. It's also out there on Blu-ray and uh, so yeah, on. Yeah, there's it's, a Blu-ray uh, that came out as a box box it, set of the whole three. Yeah. I mean, to to kind of um, give you a a, a a a little bit more of a synopsis there, Jim. It's it's really like a 90-minute music video where it's just uh visuals and music but there's no lyrics there's no narration uh at least that, as far as i remember it's been a long time i saw it when it came out um because i remember siskel and yeah, talking about this movie on their show um and i and i was like well i've got to go see this um yeah and and uh it, it it's a it's a tremendous movie like like uh like jeff said it's like all time lapse footage of um, not just 
like cities and people, but also like nature. So it's like this, um, it's kind of this weird documentary of like what the world is like. Um, and um, and it kind of yeah, shows a, a bunch of different. So it'll be like a, it'll be yeah. like a time lapse of like cars on a freeway, then then, then like a a panning shot of the Grand Canyon, and, and then uh, you know um, people traveling through through Grand Central Station, and, and it, it's it's a really um, it's really cool, uh, you know, and it makes you it does make you think a lot. Yeah. About, you know, what 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 uh, we are what are we doing? There was um, a a few years later, there was another similar film, not in the not in the trilogy um, called Microcosmos, which I think was a French film. And as basically all like insects and bugs and uh, different. Mm. uh, That was a really cool movie, too. There are a lot of similar movies that are sort of associated with this. Kronos is one of them. Baraka is another one. Right. Uh, Samsara is another one, and they're all cool movies. But I think this was the first time yeah. I've ever seen anything quite like that. Yeah, it's and, it's. And, uh, and, have to check it out. Yeah, it's really Philip cool, Glass Jim. Is, is I, amazing. I, yeah. I think I think you'd probably mm-hmm. like it. Um, Philip Glass's score is is pretty interesting in that um, it, it's kind of uh, it, well, Philip Glass is interesting in unto himself. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, but he for this film, if I remember it, uh, and, and the, the score is pretty memorable. It's it's a lot of looping and um, yeah. a, a lot of kind of, of sound, repeating figures repeating figures and and soundscapes, and it and it becomes very hypnotic. Um, almost yeah, like, like and and, and when you couple it with the visuals, it really it really stands out. It's it's a really interesting film in that regard. I mean, it's not certainly not narrative, but it evokes a mood. Um, it evokes uh, you know certain themes, um, and you know it 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 almost like forces you to think in a we- in a weird sort of way, um, you know, about what's going on in the world around you. It gives you this kind of glimpse of everything all at once, almost. Life and transformation is more about um, more to do with uh, sort of transitioning uh, yeah. from one state of, of being to another. Uh, the last one, two thousand two, uh, Nakoi uh life as war. So it's all about uh, um, war-torn uh, sort of uh, visual yeah. escapes. 
and and uh, I think um, what uh, Philip Plass did. Yeah, yeah, he didn't do this. Did yeah, but um, another a little interesting side note: um, when I uh, when I graduated from the University of Buffalo in 1989, Philip Glass was actually given a honorary doctorate at the same ceremony. Wow! At my school, cool. um, because uh, at that time. Uh, and I, you know, what did I, I, 1989, uh, university of Buffalo actually sponsored like this, uh, like new music, experimental music festival. And so I think he had been, Philip Glass had been involved in that, um, uh, in some fashion. So they gave him an honorary degree. I don't remember if he spoke very much. I mean, it was my graduation. So I was just like, I was already like, not, I was too like jacked up. Um, <laughs> cause you know, I, 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 Buffalo is such a big school. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we had like 28,000 students when I was going there. Um, I don't wow. know how many were actually in my graduated class, but, uh, it was a fair number and it just, you know, when you're in a large ceremony like that, it's, it's a bit of a spectacle, you know, um, and it, uh, you know, it's different than I, I would imagine being in a smaller school with, you know, a smaller class. Um, you know, I like my sisters all graduated from a, uh, you know, a Wells College, which is an all women's school at the time. I think it's integrated now to be co-ed. Um, and their class size was like, you know, less than 100, uh, <laughs> you know. So that graduation was very different, you know, than than mine, yeah. obviously. Um, but it was, that was kind of neat. Uh, so I've always kind of had a, I've always had kind of a, an affinity for Philip class because of that, because I'm like, Oh, he got a, he got a degree the same day I did. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think I say the same day on this. Right? And yeah. I'd certainly, and I'd certainly seen, you know, uh, Poyana Scotsy or Koyana Scotsy, um, uh, you know, by that time too. So, uh, excellent pick. Yeah. Uh, excellent film. I, I recommend it, Jim, uh, if you can find it. Uh, I know I know they've re-released it. I know they've re-released it on on Blu-ray and 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 so on. Yeah, and, uh, I'm Blu-ray sure. It, box and I'm sure it's at, I'm, all three. I, I'm sure it's out there on on YouTube or wherever if you if you search. Speaking of Philip Glass, <laughs> mine doesn't have anything to do with them. But all actually, it's it's kind of sort of because it's you know, experimental again. I'm going on. Uh, uh, a little more unusual s- score for a film. Uh, 1973's Legend of Hell House. Ooh. Uh, it's electronic score. It's, it's, it's not available anywhere really, except in the movie or there's a YouTube. Somebody took a bunch of bits of it and put it into a, like a supercut that's like 11 minutes or something. Right. So you can get the feel of what's going on here. Um, it's very as far as a score for a film it's very sparse it, it, it's it's underplayed it's an understated kind of thing uh it's all electronic uh the two people responsible for it uh delia darbyshire oh, oh a, yes i don't know if i got oh. her name correct there and brian hodgson yeah uh they both have a connection to the series doctor mm-hmm. who Yep. Uh, Delia was uh, responsible for uh, creating the, the theme song for Doctor Who, and and I guess uh, uh, Brian Hodgson was responsible for creating the sound of the TARDIS. Um, she uh, uh, Delia herself has been 
according to Wikipedia, called the unsung hero of British electronic music. She has a big influence on lots of other oh, yeah. performers that came after like Aphex Twin and such. Um, and it, it's, it's, like I said, it's very understated. It's creepy. Uh, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it's hard to describe what you're hearing. sort of when they transition between scenes there's like there's a there's a there'll be an exterior shot of the house and they'll give a date you know like there's a certain number of days that this is happening leading up to christmas eve i think and so each time it does that there's just a little sound that transitions you through to the to what's going to happen next and 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 it, it's just it's great and if you if you watch the youtube clip of it find it just like you know like legend of hell house soundtrack on youtube you should be able to find it uh, there's a bit in there that has one of my favorite bits of the movie when uh, when this group of four haunted house researchers show up, uh, one of the psychics in the group hears a voice. And and so you get a little bit of the music that's going on while she's hearing the voice. And and uh, and then it turns out that there's a record player with uh, the, the owner of the house giving a greeting. This is a great moment. Um, also some of the sounds that I think they just, they would use some, like somebody doing some breathing type sounds, just like you'd hear like a breath being released or something. And it's just, again, I, it's, it's understated. It's very sparse in the film. It's not filled with it. Just little sounds that punctuate moments or just set up other moments. It's, it's, I think it's well done. And it's cool that it's done by somebody who helped uh, pioneer electronic music. The end. Very good. <laughs> I left you guys yes. speechless, stunned. Well, yeah. I've well, you seen did. it, but I will have to seek it out because if if this has got Delia uh, Derbyshire's uh, kind of Randy McDonald, yes, like Randy McDonald. I feel I feel uh, like I only saw to... a part of that movie because I remember my older siblings watching it and then my mom telling me i was not allowed to watch it because it was too scary and this was probably wow. this was definitely a- in the 70s um so mm-hmm. it was probably i don't know if it was maybe the first time it was on being shown on television in the u.s or maybe sometime mm-hmm. thereafter um but I, I definitely because i i remember being interested i'm like oh roddy mcdowell from planet of the apes is going to be in this movie uh, mm-hmm. and I, it's also, it's I based, don't know that it's I've based ever based on a novel by Richard. It's, it a, it's based Richard on a novel by, uh, uh, Richard, Richard Matheson. Richard and, Matheson, yeah. and I'm sure your mom was saying it's, it's pretty scary, but there's also a very, there's a, there's a strong sexual element. 
Oh, to the well, film maybe, well. So maybe she probably didn't want young Douglas to see that either. <laughs> a fat lot of and good. It's surprising. <laughs> it's surprising what they what they got away with showing that on TV. I, they would. I first saw it. I think in the later seventies when it was on TV, and right, it was. It's like, wait a minute, what's going on? There? <laughs> so, right, right. It's. I, I remember. I also remember as a, as a kid being confused uh between the, uh <clears throat> the the haunt what was it the legend of hell house and the haunt the house on haunted hill and um the what there was another one that was uh had a similar title the haunting of hill house or something? The, ha- the haunting of hill house yeah that, i think that was another one um yeah. so yeah there there were some similar named movies that i was you know confused confused on uh, later i had to get them you know try to get keep them straight but um that actually yeah, might be that, one like the house at the end of the street or something yeah yeah last house on the left uh that's you know, the wrong jody foster yeah. movie um yeah i mean so actually i'm i'm you know that might be something uh to to go and and visit i i you know i i kind of enjoy those early 70s horror movies because they're just they there's a certain uh there's a certain feel to them there's a certain atmosphere to them that i don't think is has ever been you know replicated in any fashion so i you know i don't i don't know that uh you know, that's, that's, I, I think that's one that I need to go back and revisit, uh, you know, at some point. And it's, and it's pretty low tech. It's pretty low tech in it's, uh, it's effects. It's, it's, uh, it's suggestions. It's uh, atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, you're not actually seeing much. It's just, right. uh, there's a right. little things here and there that they do little effects, but really it's, it's mainly, it's just, it's atmosphere, it's acting and it, it's creepy as all hell uh and i really like it uh and and it has a yeah i really like it <laughs> just, i don't want to spoil it so if you guys can find legend of hell house I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna look that one up i'm gonna look that one up all right <clears throat> so moving on we've got uh we'll, we'll take on one of brian's uh next picks um and i think uh, I, I brought up the Wikipedia page for help here, but uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm we're going to talk about uh, his first pick, uh, Tron Legacy. Um, now, I've never seen Tron Legacy. Uh, I don't know the soundtrack. The only thing I remember about it is that Daft Punk, I think, did the soundtrack, the score for it. Yeah. Um, and that's about and I obviously it's a sequel to the classic uh, Tron film from 1982 classic in quotes of course because um, it's not honestly that great a film but it is groundbreaking um, in its use of computer technology computer graphics Either of you seen Tron Legacy or know anything about it before I move over to Wikipedia? I saw it one time, yeah, one time. Was it? Uh, I, I heard that uh, it wasn't. And I enjoyed very it. Very good. Oh, you did. Okay, 
All right. Well, that's good. Right. Okay. So, you know, again, it, it is what it is. It's, uh, you know, it's a bit of. It's a sequel. Uh, family friendly sci fi, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I don't remember much of it. Uh, that's the impression you made of me. I'm, I remember more of the original. I remember, I, I remember mostly the de aging of Jeff Bridges. Yeah. 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 yeah, that I, that yeah, I remember that was, was kind of like one of the big like, selling points. It was yeah. an early example of them using de-aging technology, um, mm. you know. And I, in all honesty, I, honesty, I, I don't think the de-aging technology has really looked all that great. Uh, you know, um, I'm looking at you, Rogue One. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Although I have to say the the young Robert Downey Jr. in um, what which Marvel movie was that? It was one of the ones. One I of think the Avengers. One of the Avengers movies where they they went back in time to, and uh, that actually looked halfway decent, um, but mm-hmm. um, but the you know the the de aging that they did or the recreation that they did for. Um, rogue one was not that great um i think that's a little bit different though because they were actually both of the actors that they did that they did were had passed away by then um and they were trying to recreate um rather than um i think robert downey jr uh and and um michael douglas in in the ant-man movies they de-aged him in in that too to fairly decent effect so it was different because they were actually doing a giving a performance and then they were actually able to digitally you know uh touch up what was already on the screen so the performance was probably a little more natural in that case um yeah so yeah um anyway that's a that's a bit of a sidetrack but so here's an interesting uh bit from the um from the Wikipedia page. Uh, so the director of Tron Legacy um, was a huge fan of Daft Punk, and that's why he approached them to do the film score. Uh, and um, they uh, they actually waited uh, for Daft Punk because they had reached out to them in 2007, but they were on tour. So, um, you know, the movie came out in 2010. They kind of waited for them to be able to do the score. Um, but... So Daft Punk, uh, according to what I'm reading here, uh, did the score on, you know, synthesizers and drum machines, and then it was transcribed into, uh, you know, uh, uh, music, uh, you know, music notes that, uh, that an 85 piece orchestra then um, uh, performed. So um, it was kind of a, uh, you know, a combination of, of, uh, you know, of, of writing. So um, it was kind of, kind of interesting, but here's, here's something else that's interesting um, that we brought up Wendy Carlos earlier, and she was the composer of the original Tron film. I, I had forgotten about that. So, um, yeah. and they, and they cited her as a, as a big influence. Um, they also uh, talked to, uh, said that uh, the other big influences for the soundtrack were uh, Max Steiner, Bernard Herrmann, John Carpenter, uh, Van Gellis, and uh, Maurice Jarre. Would you pronounce it Jarre? 
Maurice Jarre or Maurice Jar? Jar. 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 Jerry. 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 Okay. Um, anyway, so uh, I've never heard it, so I, you know, I I don't know. Uh, but uh, Brian really liked it. Um, it sounds like it's got some interesting um, pedigree to it. Um, so maybe I'll have to, I'll have to give that a listen or actually seek out and, and watch the movie. I never, I never got around to watching the movie and I'm sure it's on Disney plus. Yeah. Um, so I'll be worth a rewatch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it yeah. a whirl. I'll give it a whirl. So thanks for, thanks for that one, Brian, even though you're not here, we appreciate it. Um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so I heard him. <laughs> I'm trying to decide which movie I want to go with next. That one. I, I think <laughs> that one right there. That one right there. That one. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. Um, You're well, looking right at it. You know, you want to go with that one. Go with that one. <laughs> are, are you? Are you fellows done? Are you done? I'm done. All right, good. Don't forget, I have that blackmail material, Jim. That's you know. It should really be on your best behavior. <laughs> I think what I want, what I want to do for my next film is uh, because we just brought him up. Um, we're going to go with uh, Max Steiner's 1933 soundtrack for King Kong, um, which is groundbreaking and unique. Um, and I think it really is, uh, you know, the cause for this entire uh, talk and um, and I'll kind of get into that in, in a little bit but um, you know the soundtrack itself is unique because um, you know um, if you if you go back um, you know the, the movie itself was kind of turning into a, a big budget film for 1933 I think they wound up spending like six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in 1933 bucks which when you're coming off the depression, still in the depression, well, um, that's the, that's that's quite a big uh, quite a big budget. So, um, one of the things that happened at that point was uh, RKO, uh, who who was making the the picture, decided that due to ballooning costs, they did not want an original soundtrack. Um, so they wanted Max Steiner to uh, you know orchestrate. The film but they wanted him to use uh film cues from other movies uh basically just recycle and reuse they did they, they didn't want to pay for an original score so um what happened was that uh marion c cooper who was the producer um was like no um this movie deserves to have an original score and um so he paid for it out of his own pocket, uh, roughly, according to what I've read, uh, uh, roughly $50,000 out of his own pocket.
So what was unique about this film, about this score, um, was um, that it was the first film score to use a 46-piece orchestra. Um, up to then, film scores were a much smaller affair. Uh, obviously, going back, this is only a, uh, about six years after Talking Films came. Uh, the Jazz Singer was 1927, so only six years earlier. Um, so film scores generally were um, you know, uh, you know, in the silent era, you had, uh, you know, in theater, accompany, you know, live accompaniment by somebody on a piano, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there, it was more background music than, than anything else at that point. Um, and then up to that point, they, they're really, they weren't really doing big scores. It was still mostly just background music. So this was kind of a first in that they used a big orchestra to record the soundtrack. And it is also considered the first film to use a thematic score um, rather than just creating background music. So Max Steiner created themes for some of the main characters and, and, and situations and would reuse them. Um, it's kind of uh, something that he said that he took from uh, opera music where there were various leitmotifs used to introduce when a character was coming on stage, or you know, a, you know, a certain situation might be happening, that that repeats. So instead of just providing background music, you know, you have a theme for Kong. You have a theme for, you know, uh, you know, some of the other characters, and and so um, it, it was it was unique in that sense. Uh, it was really the first time that it's that it was done. Um, and uh, the other interesting thing, too, is that it's the first film uh, that they separated um, everything into three tracks. So there was a separate track for the music, a separate track for the vocal, the, the dialogue, and a separate track for the sound effects. So it was the first movie to do that as well. Um, so, um, you know, that was, that was really neat. Um, so it's... It's, it was such a, a groundbreaking score. He actually, um, uh, I don't think he would, I don't think the, the Kong score was actually nominated for an Oscar, but um, he did, he did win, uh, he did win for Gone with the Wind uh, a few years later, uh, which I, uh, ironically also burned down the set of King Kong um, for, for the burning of Atlanta scene, um, later in the movie. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a little resonance there, but, uh, Max Steiner, I think, um, you know, uh, generally, um, you know, is, is credited with kind of creating the modern film score, uh, with King Kong, you know, it's the first, first movie to kind of really let's do a, let's do a, a, a score that's more than just background music. Um, and, and it, and it worked, it's a tremendous movie all the way around. It, it was the last movie I saw, um, before the, before the lockdown a couple of years ago, uh, T uh T Turner classic movies was doing one of those, um, you know, show screenings in the theater, uh, that they, that they do from time to time. And I went to go see it. Cause I mean, why not go see King Kong on the big screen? And, um, 
It really, right. it really holds up. It's an amazing movie um, all the way around. Uh, I, the, the special effects, some of the special effects that they did still look amazing today. Um, they they, they mm -hmm. really, it's really quite a well-made movie. And, and the music is a big part of that. Um, they, it really kind of held everything together, um, pulled everything together, you know, especially the use of the, the those kind of, uh, you know, leap motifs um in the score um to kind of you know give uh give a little more character to what was going on to the on on the screen so that that is my my second pick <laughs> that's a good pick very good yeah that's a good very, pick very good that one goes back that one goes back a ways that one goes back a ways yep uh this one is uh the Ipcris file, and uh, it's uh, scored by John Barry. John Barry, of course. Um, yeah, and so he is famous for for doing Bond, uh, yep. and this yep. is a different China spy movie, um, and it's um, so it's sort of a a more uh, brutalist kind of Bond, almost like an anti-Bond, right? Um, and so it's the so the music has got like Bond-ish feel to it. Uh, but it's far less bombastic. <laughs> it's it's darker. It's more um, it's more reflective, I think. Right. Uh, and it's it's and it's got that sort of. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. Um, yeah, it's got. Uh, I, I wrote all this stuff down <laughs> while I was just doing like a stream of consciousness thing. Um, contrast uh, between the main the, within the main main theme. Um, you've got these lush vibes and strings. You've got the harp, which are kind of like you would expect to hear in, in, a, in a sort of exotic spy thriller sort of thing. But then you've got this spare, this fragile sounding flute line above it all. Uh, and it's kind of haunting. Uh, so that sort of makes it a lot different. Plus, it, there's a thing, the instrument that... Um, uh, the use of Hungarian origin called a cymbalom. Okay. Which is like a hammered dulcimer kind of sound to it. But uh, if you think of, uh, uh, Josh, what's that? Uh, I think in the, that, that uh, song by Portishead, um, is it a Glory Box? Oh, okay. I uh, think I, I it's, think it's, I, it's, it's got I think, the, yeah, and that sort of thing. Uh, 
and so it's a great contrast i think is 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 the thing you know it's definitely barry and it's definitely a spy sound but it's more because it's it's a, a darker themed movie uh it's got that it's really sort of does fit the movie that you know really really well and it's very very sort of menacing and somber and uh, yeah i love it i love it excellent and of course michael kane what's not to love about michael kane oh well uh nothing uh except for jaws 4 maybe <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but 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 that famous quote of, of uh, about George Ford, someone said, you know, what, you know, uh, you know, why did you do it? And he said, well, he said, but uh, I, uh, it, it bought me a nice house, basically. I'm paraphrasing, but it's, yeah, I like I like the house it bought me, you know. Right, so, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've known exactly. torture. I've known pain, just like that film with Michael Caine. <laughs> The, the Godfathers. I think they're referring to Ipris Files in that line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's another one that has to go onto my uh, rewatch list because I I feel like I saw that again. Uh, that was another one of those movies I saw a long time ago as a kid. Um, and yeah. mm-hmm. I, I need to revisit. Um, I need to revisit yeah. that because uh, there's nothing quite like a, a good Michael Caine, British spy, uh, gangster movie, uh, kind of, kind of thing, yeah. you know, something along yeah. like the, yeah, get the orig- Carter is another one. I love yeah. Get Carter. Get, get Carter, the, the original Italian job, not the get Carter remake with Sylvester Stallone, which was terrible. No, that was, uh, was that absolute pants. That was, that was yeah, that, that was, that was junk. Um, pants? But, yeah, that's a, that's a British term. If something's rubbish, you say, Oh, that was utter pants. Okay. <laughs> Completely. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm guessing. I was that... watching something British. I, I am a little delayed from you guys. Uh, I'm sorry. I was watching. So, uh, would I lie to you? That's that I was watching on YouTube. Yeah. And they Are kept we... referring to pants. Yeah. And I kept thinking, yeah, I wear. Pa- what? Oh, underwear. Yeah. That's what they yeah, mean. Cause, cause... Okay. Because it took us. So I was like, what's so big deal? But why are they all laughing about pants? I'm wearing pants right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got you. So that's where yes. two countries. As, a, as opposed to trousers. Say, trousers, we say over here. There you go. Maybe we could all agree on slacks. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we don't go with leggings, we're all right. Okay. My, uh, my next one is from 2004. It's The Incredibles. Oh, very uh, good. Pixar film. Very good. Excellent. And that kind of picks up on what Jeff was just talking about with the a 60s vibe, uh, you know, because that's what they were going for. Mm-hmm. It was a 60s look to the film. The, the music had a 60s vibe. There are moments in there where it's like, well, that music could come right out of a James Bond movie. And, right. and it's just, you know, high energy. It's great action. It's, it's fun. And it was one of the great snubs when it comes to the Oscars that uh, – I, th- I hope I get his name right. Michael uh, Giacchino. Yeah. That how say that, his name? That's correct. Uh, so, yeah. uh, he was not nominated. His score was not nominated. Yes. It's so, so good. It's it's uh, a great it's, score. It's, it's hip. It's cool. Uh, it's just, uh, what more can you say about it? it? It just really moves that movie along.
it fits right with all the action, everything that's happening in it. It's just so well done. And when my son was much, much, much younger, like, I don't know, we used to, at the end credits, uh, we used to kind of pretend we were, you know, uh, on an adventure chasing each other and battling and stuff to that music. And we just had a whole kind of thing going. Mm. The silly stuff you do with your kids. Yeah, I, I, so, unfor- yeah. I mean, what about can you say about it? I, unfortunately, you know, my daughter is the same age as your son, and it's like, um, she didn't really like The Incredibles all that much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I loved it. I remember really enjoying it. Yeah, brilliant, great, brilliant. great score. And, um, what's interesting, I remember hearing an interview with uh, Michael Giacchino, and he actually got started, um, doing video game music. Um, and it was interesting, like the company he was working for was doing Call of Duty, I think it was. And he wasn't actually doing film com- or music composing um, at the time. He was just working at this company. And he kind of took the opportunity to slip the producer's music that he had composed for the game and you know, they liked it so much. Uh, I, I think Steven Spielberg was one of the executive producers of the original Call of Duty game and, and that series. Um, and he took kind of took advantage of that and um, kind of slipped some music. And they're like, this is great. And that's kind of how he got to start uh, doing video game music. He's done some great scores, uh, you know, since then. Obviously, he's done a lot of uh, Pixar scores, um, but uh, uh, you know, including I believe he did the score for Up, which I really liked. Um, but he's also done um, some other great. I, he just most recently uh, did the score for the for the new Spider-Man movie, the um, No Way Home. Uh, so you know, he's he's been around the block a few times. He's been nominated. I I think he might have won. Some uh, one of uh, and it feels like he should have. Uh, <laughs> I think he did win for for Up. I think Up did win Best Original Score, if I recall. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's done he's done a bunch of a bunch of movies for Pixar uh, and and um, yeah and Disney and, he's, and, uh, and apparently others. also done the Batman. Yeah, yeah, he did he did that as well. Um, yeah. Most most recently. Yes. So, so he's, he's, he's fairly prolific. He does, he's got a nice, uh, nice style. Um, And yeah, the, the uh, Incredibles was definitely like a retro style score and it really, it really worked well. Mm. I really enjoyed um, that movie was great just in general, but uh, you know, the score definitely helped. So that moves us on to uh, Brian's next pick. Um, And um surprisingly uh i think it's the first me- mention of uh danny elfman uh because he has picked the batman score which you know probably would have been one of my picks if nobody else had picked it um as as the host i usually let you guys pick stuff and then i'll pick around you uh because i like to have diversity uh and I'll, although sometimes i'll rec- i'll reclaim something for myself occasionally um <laughs> but but generally i pick around you guys for the for this kind of stuff and i definitely would have picked the batman score as one of my scores if nobody else had picked it um yeah, I, yeah. It, it, it it's such an iconic score um and it really it, it really improved that movie um to to a great degree um 
you know, I, I, I think, I think, you know, by having that, that score probably elevated that movie from like, maybe like a six or a seven on a scale of 10 to, you know, a, a, an eight or a nine. It, 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 it elevated the movie, um, which I think is something that a great score can do. remember at the time one of the film critics really like singled it out um uh you know that, that they said it was very uh wagnerian you know uh, uh kind of score um because it was just so uh, uh, uh kind of operatic and um uh and 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 bombastic in in some in some ways but there's a lot of there was some subtlety to it too and actually this kind of goes back to your original discussion because i remember when i went to go buy the score cd for this film and i brought up the danny elfman um you know version of the soundtrack uh the the, the score cd and the the person at the counter at the record store was like i you know that's that's just the music that's not the that's not the songs because everybody else was buying the soundtrack album with all the prince songs on it and i'm like I do not want, I mean, I have really nothing against Prince, but he's not my favorite. I know he's kind of a hometown hero for you, Jim. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I've, I think I've come to appreciate it more uh, in, in more recent years. But um, at the time, I was not that big of a Prince fan. And I definitely, um, I was like, no, this is definitely the one I want. Um, you know, cause I wanted that Elfman score, you know, I was a big Oingo Boingo fan. Uh, and I was just like, you know, this is, this is the score I want because it just blew me away in the theater, uh, you know, for that movie. So I'm sure, um, that's probably similar to what Brian, Brian would say, uh, <laughs> about it. Um, you know, Elfman, mm -hmm. that was really kind of, he'd done some scores prior to Batman. Uh, but I think Batman was where people started to take him seriously as a, as a film composer. Um, you know, he had done Pee Wee, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, uh, Big Top Pee Wee and <laughs> Beetlejuice. Um, and I, I'm trying to, I feel like maybe he'd done one other score, but he'd basically been working, uh, doing scores for Tim Burton from, from the beginning. Um, and, um, you know, I, I like the score for Beetlejuice. I like, you know, so, you know some of the music from Pee Wee, 
Um, but I can see where people are coming from, where like they weren't taking him as seriously as a composer until I think Batman was probably his first serious uh, right. score, and it and it was it was you know not only that, but it was you know a blockbuster movie to boot. So um, as a composer, I think he's been nominated four or five times, but he's never he's never won the Oscar for, for best score. Um, but oddly enough, like the one year he was nominated twice men in black and, um, Oh shoot. What was the other one that he was nominated for that year? Um, I don't know. Uh, but he, <laughs> he, he's done some really cool scores. Uh, I, I have to admit. So, yep. um, you know, I, he's one of my next to John Williams. He's probably, my favorite next favorite composer um mm-hmm. as far as film scores go um and uh you know i really i really enjoy it what what were what you guys impressions of of the batman score i want to mention this a little bit um we'll get it about john williams because john williams was the master of this and and that is uh, uh a quick set of notes a few bars or whatever it is that are instantaneously you know the movie yeah you know that so with batman danny elfman did that bum 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 it's like that's batman you know you get that right it's it's so so he achieved that in this in that film score and one of the knocks on all the scores for the marvel comics universe films is that none of them are really identifiable Right. It's just music to kind of move the story along. And I think that was a choice that was made by the filmmakers that they didn't necessarily want, you know, a John Williams score. But right. that's, I mean, when you can, when you can get something, you know, a little piece of your music that you put together can become identifiable instantaneously. Yeah. You've done something pretty good there. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Although um, I'm, I am interested to hear, um, Danny Elfman is doing the score for the upcoming Dr. Strange movie, um, which, which is, uh, he's reuniting with Sam Raimi. Um, he did the, the music for Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Um, you know, maybe it'll kind of break that mold a little bit of non-memorable <laughs> Marvel movie mm-hmm. scores. Maybe. Um, you know, not that any of the scores are, are bad, but you're right. There's nothing that's, you know, that like the Superman theme or Batman theme mm-hmm. or, you know, some, some of the themes that, that John Williams did that are just instantly recognizable. And you're like, mm. I know that movie. Right. Yeah, I can name that tune in two notes, you know, uh, kind of, a, kind of mm-hmm. a thing. Um, you can, you can do that mm-hmm. with a bunch of Elfman scores. Um, so mm-hmm. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting to kind of see where they um, where they go with that. I, I'm you know, I, I think that's probably uh, as as a quick aside, that's probably the Marvel movie I'm most looking forward to uh, this year. I, I you know, I've skipped a bunch. I skipped the Eternals because that looked like crap. Um, I don't know if it actually was. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus and I haven't watched it yet. Um I, I hated the Eternals comic growing up. So I'm like, why would I watch the movie on a So did everybody. Um, it only yeah. lasted like 12 issues. Yeah. Issues. Right. Right. It, <laughs> Nobody liked it. It was, it was, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's a that's a whole separate issue. 
<laughs> but yeah. but yeah, the Batman yeah. score definitely, um, you know, uh, it's like, like you said, uh, going back to, you know, the, the, the Max Steiner thing there, there was a lot of little leap motifs in the, in the Batman score, you know, there's a, there's a Bruce Wayne theme. There's a Batman theme. There's a Joker theme. Um, you know, there's little, you know, little bits and pieces of, of things that, you know, kind of evoke a place, you know, Gotham city kind of has its own atmosphere. Um, you know, so it's, it's a really, uh, a really good score and you know it, um it was certainly one of the in 1989 it would have been one of the first soundtrack cds i ever bought um because i had only gotten my cd player like the year before um so uh you know it, it was it was um it was definitely a you know a very memorable score did you have anything to add jeff i remember seeing the movie i, I went to saw at the cinema a whole bunch of us decided to go uh to the nearest cinema which at the time was uh in ashford which is like 14 miles away right so it was a it was a, an undertaking and uh but uh, me and uh, my friend nigel we were both uh, nuts on prince so uh right that was plans. so yeah so we were, were with with nigel we, yes. we uh making plans with Four. nigel yeah, that's right. Oh, to that to that day, he has he has never listened to drums and wires because he got teased mercilessly. Oh, I'm like you got to listen to drums and wires, man. You know, he said he said he yeah, should he should have listened to America. He said every time he walked into a room, you know, it was like, oh, we were me and Mike, and it's like, oh, shut up. You know, he should have listened to America. The song was never a hit here. Yeah, yeah. well, there you go. Uh, but uh, no, um, so we uh, is a shame. We we yeah. Yeah, we went to see that with a whole bunch of people. Um, and mainly for for because I mean a because it's Batman B because it's Prince and C because of Jack Nicholson uh, mm. and um, mm. you know that was but it was a it's a great movie I, I I really enjoyed the movie and but I remember seeing like a little teaser thing that uh, I I forget what I saw it was on on TV at around the same time where it showed like little snippets of Prince kind of in the studio sort of working out the the songs and playing some phenomenal baseline and it was like this is amazing you know um and you're right the score was really great that that little that little theme that little sort of uh, you know just one bar of like just mm-hmm. a, of just a few notes just sort of like mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of recurring mm-hmm. throughout the movie just to sort of like hey this is batman's sound you know right. so yeah anyway excellent. moving on excellent let's <laughs> yes let's move on so um at the beginning of the show uh Jim asked about the score for Taxi Driver and who did it. And he thought it was Howard Shore, I believe that you said. Um, and it was not That's Howard Shore. It was not Howard Shore. Um, it was actually the final film composed by the great Bernard Herrmann, um, who made his name with Alfred Hitchcock, but he's done so much, um, so much that is iconic and that everybody knows um, aside from uh, you know uh, the, the score that I'm going to talk about next, which is psycho um, which I think for me is one of the, is one of the great scores. I mean, and he's done so many great scores um, but before he even got um, mixed up with Hitchcock um, you know, he actually worked with, 
um, Orson Welles. He did the music for the War of the Worlds uh, broadcast. Um, although it's wow. not cl- it's not clear if he actually composed the music or was just or just used existing cues. Um, uh, my my guess is he used existing cues. Um, just because I can't imagine that he would have composed all new music for, for an hour long radio drama. Um, But, but he was, he did that. He did the music for citizen Kane Um, again, working with, with Wells. Um, Obviously people might know him for the twilight zone theme. Uh, He did that as well. Um, He did a lot of uh, fifties, kind of Ray Harryhausen science fiction movies. He did Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Mysterious Island, Journey to the Center of the Earth, those kind of movies. Um, he did uh, Cape Fear, um, which I think came, that was the year after Psycho. Um, but he started working yeah. with Hitchcock in the mid fifties. Um, he did, um, uh, what's the, tr- was it, what's the trouble with Harry? Um, let me check my notes. I, I always get just the, Oh, the, the trouble with Harry. Yes. The, the trouble, with, the trouble with Harry. Um, and then, uh, in that was 1955. Then he did, uh, the wrong man in 1956 vertigo in 1957 and North by Northwest, which is probably one of my favorite Hitchcock films, uh, in 1959. Yeah. So by the time psycho rolled around in 1961, he and Hitchcock had a very, strong working relationship um and um i was i was reading up on this and 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 apparently hitchcock would actually show him like completed scenes and he would compose the music uh to completed scenes which is not the way it's always done uh (laughs) so um so he had kind of a unique thing and apparently um Hitchcock trusted him enough that he would flex the editing of a scene. If he felt the music, you know, he would expand a scene or he would maybe cut a scene shorter uh, based on uh, Bernard Herman's music uh, for, for that scene um, that he, that he created. So um, they had a really unique relationship. I think, I think their relationship kind of fell apart. Uh, at some point, I don't remember exactly why, but I don't think they ever worked together again um, after after Psycho. Um, maybe they did one more movie together. Um, but um, the, what's what's unique is uh, you know I, I I think for me like the main theme of Psycho comes on right at the beginning, and it you know it's such a People, it, it, the movie itself really um, puts expectations on, 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 on their head for most people. It was a black and white movie when black and white movies were no longer really being made, um, you know, and the, 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 the score just, the theme for Psycho just jumps at you right from the beginning. It's this kind of very frenetic theme right from the start. And then it goes, there's all the unsettlement um, and, you know, it's the kind of movie that you think is going one way and then does a complete 180 degree turn about 30 minutes in. Um, so uh, what the other interesting thing was that um, 
the what's probably aside from the the main theme the uh, the shower scene music is probably what is best known from psycho and it almost didn't happen because uh hitchcock initially uh created the scene with the intention of having no music at all just having the sound of the knife um and the and the running water and and the and the screams um and he thought that would be a really creepy scene that way um but apparently after viewing it a few times he decided well maybe maybe it does need music and unbeknownst to him bernard herman had already scored music for it (laughs) because he was like because when when Hitchcock had shown him the movie. Um, he's like, I, I don't need music for this scene. And Bernard Herman apparently said, but I, I really feel like it needs music. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. no, it's going to play without music. But uh, he decided to write a, write a score for that scene anyway. And apparently the first time that Hitchcock saw, uh, uh, you know, uh, played the music with the scene he was like okay that we're using that So um, it was, it, it almost never, it, it was one of those things that were, almost never happened, but it's one of the most iconic pieces of music, probably in the latter half of the 20th century. Uh, I mean, it's been parodied and reused and recycled ad nauseum, uh, you know, in so many different ways. It's been parroted uh, and, and ripped off in, in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different scores. It's, it's really um, quite something. Um, so yeah, he, um, he, that was, uh, amongst his last collaborations with, with Hitchcock. Um, I wish I'd had time to do a little more research, uh, to find out like what happened when, with their relationship, but, um, but he did, he did go on to score, um, like 17 episodes of, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's TV show. It's um, it's interesting that like his his career kind of fell off um, after after that his uh, 1960s work after Hitchcock um, started to he started to kind of spiral down into um, some lower budget movies. I think he wound up doing um, his last bunch of scores um, in the 70s. He did. Uh, 
a couple of movies for Brian De Palma when he was just starting out, um, a couple of kind of exploitation films called Sisters and Obsession. And then he did uh, a movie for uh, the late, great Schlockmeister Larry Cohen called uh, It's Alive. Um, and uh, huh. that was that was one of his last scores. And then Scorsese used him for Taxi Driver. And that was his last his last score before he passed away in 1975 taxi driver came out in 76 and he did win the BAFTA award that year for best score. He was nominated for an Oscar did not win uh, that year. Um, but um, uh, I, you know, I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to think he did, he did win an Oscar, I think for something earlier in his career and it escapes me at the moment, but um, Bernard Herman, uh, one of the great, great uh american composers um and uh you know uh and and psycho is a, a probably amongst one of his greatest films uh film scores and and he's done uh a lot of great film scores um and and incidentally a huge influence on uh danny elfman danny elfman cites him as the reason he got into film composing so um yeah. well there you go psycho by uh the great mm-hmm. bernard Herrmann. It's my pick for uh, my favorite film score. And it makes sense. It makes it makes sense that uh, Bernard Herrmann worked with uh, Alfred Hitchcock on the on the TV show, that he would work on Psycho, because that's who Hitchcock used to make the movie. He used his uh, used his TV crew, right? Because the studio didn't want to give him any money. (laughs) It's fine. I'll make it for cheap, and I'll just take uh, you know I'll just take what it makes in the box office, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I mean that's part of the 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 origin of Psycho is. You know, he'd done Hitchcock had been doing all of these, uh, you know, these incredible high budget 
set piece movies, North by Northwest being probably the greatest example of that. And then he was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I just want to do a small uh, movie. He was starting to see films being done by these low budget directors, uh, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties where they were kind of getting away with um, using a, 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 a little bit more realism in their scares, using a little bit of gore, um, a little bit of, you know, just more stylized and, and um, you know, different um, ways. So he wanted, he wanted to make, he basically wanted to make like a little exploitation film of his own. Uh, he wanted to do a low budget. Um, the, the, the studio didn't really want to do it. And um, he had bought the rights, uh, his, his production company had bought the rights to the, the, the novel Psycho by Robert Block. Um, and, you know, he, he basically put up his own money um, at least to get the movie started. And then, uh, and then the book mm-hmm. became like a bestseller. And of course, yeah. then, then the studio wanted to, to make the movie. Um, and, uh, it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of went from there, but that movie became, uh, the most financially successful film for Hitchcock, um, in, in so far as how much money he made off of it, because he basically, you know, uh, got the ball rolling at, you know, bought the rights to the book, had all of that stuff, you know, the, the, the studios wanted nothing to do with it. And he had, you know, he just started, it's like, all right, you know, I'll put up some of my own money. It was a really low budget for him, uh, you know, wound up being a fairly low budget film, a good movie. And the, um, of course the, the, um, soundtrack really helped. Alrighty, folks, I think we'll stick a pin in it right there. Uh, that ends the first part of our discussion on our favorite film soundtracks. Um, as noted earlier, we will be discussing our favorite John Williams soundtracks in the next episode, as well as some of our favorite compilation soundtracks, uh, soundtracks that contain um, popular songs or, or unpopular songs, uh, as well as, uh, as well as score music. Um, so there's some, some interesting ones there and, uh, hope you'll come back and listen to that. Um, so, uh, until then, uh, you are listening to something to tide you over by John Harrison from the creep show soundtrack, uh, George Romero and Stephen King's, uh, anthology horror film from the early 1980s uh hope you enjoy it and of course it will have to uh tide you over until next time uh this is your host douglas arthur signing out and on behalf of the gooch squad uh we thank you for listening Two-Headed Space Mules is copyright 2022 by Douglas Arthur for Dugside Syndicate. All other content is copyrighted its respective holders and is used under the doctrine of fair use. You can contact the show by sending an email to spacemules at yahoo.com or you can drop us a voicemail on our new listener line 
Just visit anchor.fm slash spacemules slash message, and we might just use it on a future show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Space Mules and head over to Facebook to like the official Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules fan page for all the latest news, show notes, and celestial ephemera. And please check out our new Space Mules tea public storefront for all your Space Mules swag. T-shirts, magnets, coffee mugs, you name it. We have all the highest quality merchandise you can shake a Zuni doll at. Just head over to tpublic.com slash user slash assault of the two-headed space mules. And there's a dash between every word, and two is the number two. So that's assault dash of dash the dash the number two dash headed dash space dash mules. And support the show. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. We're now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and more. Or you can visit anchor.fm at any time. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Be sure to tune in next time when you'll hear my brother say... You just listen to the old pork chop express here now and take his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down and sheets thick as lead. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it.